Welcome to the Wealthy Woman Podcast, aka your holistic guide to being a wealthy woman. I'm your host, Donnie, and on this show, I talk to the dopest women experts, entrepreneurs, influencers, corporate baddies, and occasional wildcard guests while they share their wisdom from the experiences that brought them to where they are today. So let's upgrade our lives together, but more importantly, let's get wealthy. On this episode, I have the privilege and the honor of speaking to the one and only Alex Wolf. I do have to warn you, I am going to be fangirling a bit on this episode because she's a legend. If you don't really know who Alex is, you will definitely be a fan as well by the end of the show. And I have no shame about being a fangirl because I want to make it a common thing on this show for me to give people their flowers. So for those that don't know, she is the founder and creator of Boss Babe, which you're going to hear me and her discuss the impact of that brand and what it meant for culture and what it still means for culture and what it means for women in the business world. But along with that, I really appreciate that on this episode, she's really open about her investments and what it's like being an investor and how you can actually become an investor as well. So if that's something that you're interested in, you'll definitely enjoy this episode. I honestly didn't even want to end the conversation, but she has a life and I had to, of course, at some point in the conversation, but enjoy it while it lasts because I'm going to eat it up forever. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Now let's get into the show. No, this is so dope Um, because I've been following you for forever, it feels like. And I remember I first discovered you on Periscope. (laughs) The Periscope Periscope audience pipeline is so real. Like I've had a lot of people still follow me from Periscope. No, it's crazy. Same. Uh, But yeah, I found you on there and I did not, like I had already been following your brand at that time. Mm -hmm. And then I saw you and I was like, oh my gosh, I did not know that you were the person behind it. This is crazy. And so I've always just had like this certain... um, I don't know like I just felt uh, in a in a way like pride for you because you know you're a woman of color and you built something so amazing and so I just always like yeah, yeah I just always thought it was dope so I'm excited to have this conversation with you today same yes okay so I want to like first start like way back like when you were a kid okay. <laughs> um, because I, I found that most people that do substantial things a lot of times like there are patterns of things as a child yeah. and so I wanted to know have you like always been entrepreneurial like what age did you start getting into entrepreneurship so my mom told me a story about me selling Pokemon cards for like thirty dollars in like third grade and I swear I have no memory of this but she was like no like you got in trouble the principal called um so I'll take that like I feel like that's a very um on brand I was a kid selling stuff story (laughs) um and yeah I think more than I was entrepreneurial minded I was internet minded and focused and like I think the two kind of came together Mm, yeah no that sounds very much like you because it's the fact that you knew that selling pokemon cards was better than selling candy so (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah because most people are like you know most kids they start with selling candy um that is very sophisticated the margins on candy are not as much yeah exactly exactly you you understood profit (laughs) (laughs) no but yeah Okay, so you were like more focused in the internet tech. So like at that time, like what were you doing? Were you just like exploring the internet? Were you just trying to like be creative or what were you spending your time doing? Yeah, so my dad being in tech meant I always had computers in the house. And so I had computers before everyone else. I had webcams before everyone else. I had a cell phone before everyone else. One of my favorite memories is being in elementary school and having to sneak to the bathroom to show the other girls that my phone was real because they thought it was like a Nokia. And I had to like open and show like the inside with the battery. And they were like, (gasps) you know, Um, and now like every two-year-old has an iPad, but... (laughs) the exposure to the internet and the computer was um, pivotal in terms of like, I just browsed the web. I learned a lot. Like I joined communities. I remember the end.com I would be on and I would like get Degrassi avatars. I don't know if you were there for any of that, but I would watch the end on the the Degrassi on the end and they Mm -hmm. had an online community. And so 
Um, I was also, I grew up as the only child too. So I always say like the computer was my sibling. And I think just that exposure to online community and building websites and stuff like that, graphic design, MySpace, it felt like, yeah, I, I'll be here for a while. That makes total sense. Yeah, I grew up as an only child for like the first 10 years of my life. Mm-hmm. And I will say for most only children, I think it's just a totally different experience because mm-hmm. there's no one there to sway how you feel about things. And yeah. you really get to like dive deep in the things that you really enjoy. And you kind of like, you know what I mean? Like, And it's just yeah. like your own little safe space. You don't have to like worry about oh my gosh, is someone else going to think this is cool? Or is my sibling going to get on my nerves right now? Or am I going to play with them today? Like, it's like, I get to do what I want to (laughs) do. Right. You form your own opinions without so much influence. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that is so cool. Because I, I was like, I definitely had a very large imagination as a child. But like, I was playing with toys and stuff. I would get on the computer sometimes, but yeah. it was just not as big of a thing in my house. Like we, yeah, we all had one computer that we shared and stuff. So. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so that nice. was very cool that you were into that. But like you said, your dad was in tech. So I'm sure that made it more of like a comfortable, like you guys probably felt more comfortable with technology, you know? Totally. Yeah. yeah. That is so interesting. So you almost kind of grew up like a Gen Zer in a way where it was like, yeah, like you got you got a mixture of like what it's like to be a millennial, but like also had that comfort with technology where it's like it was always there. That's a good way of putting it. And I'm on the I'm on the younger side of the millennial spectrum. So but yeah. I'm a millennial day. I will always claim that. <laughs> oh, same, same. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm not old, but I, I'm still a millennial on, yeah. the, on the other side. Um, OK, so let's get into my favorite part of your journey, which is Boss Babe. And um, so you are the founder, the original creator of Boss Babe. And to me, I just want to give you your flowers because- Thank you. No, seriously. Yeah, because you've, you've done something that I think is so pivotal and that is so underrated. And I think looking back, people will definitely do like TED Talks and dissertations about what you created. (laughs) And I'm sure they already do. But you were a part, a big like trailblazer or like, you know, the kind of like you basically led a whole movement in a way. Like you were one of the leaders in that movement of like making being smart as a woman or an entrepreneur as a woman cool, right? And making it fun and pretty and being able to like, collide these worlds and also be empowering, right? It was mm-hmm. like you were making it a safe space for women to learn, you know, and, and but also like be comfortable in the fact that yes, I'm feminine. No, I don't have to be masculine to get things done. No, I don't have to play in the boys space to get things done. But I'm going to like, take charge and create a new, you know, a new life for myself through being an entrepreneur or striving in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I want to know, like, when you created Boss Babe, did you think it was going to become as big as it did? Um, I I knew it was going to be big. I did because I could just see the trend. Um, I didn't necessarily know how spread out it was going to be, if that makes sense. Meaning, like, the way that Millennial Pink showed up in different magazines and clothes and, and trending palettes or the way that other women took, you know, a very similar concept and made it their own. Like, I I, I knew that it, it wasn't, I don't even feel like I made it big. It's just that it was, I was in a position to kind of articulate this big thing that was happening. And to your point was kind of like on the forefront of that. But um, yeah, I, it's, It still amazes me. Like I was just joking with a friend the other day, like I'll go to a store, random store and I'll like, they'll have boss babe merch. And like, I wasn't necessarily expecting that. (laughs) Right. It's almost, so it's like, to me, there's so many things that you did there. And I kind of want to break it down for people that don't understand how big this is. So one, the color, right? That's huge. To this day, people milk that dry because they know what that communicates subconsciously to our demographic. Um, But two, it's kind of like Kleenex, right? 
where it's like there is a specific yeah. thing and you kind of change the title of it right? right it's not a tissue anymore it's kleenex it's not an entrepreneur woman or whatever it's a boss babe yeah. um and then also too it's just like you took a concept and made it into a community made it into like you know what i mean so it's like an archetype you took that and made it into a community and it's like this is almost as if someone were to take the whole lucky girl syndrome thing that's on TikTok and make a community out of that like you made it into a thing and so it's so layered what you did but it's genius and and you had to be there like it sounds like you were there but trying (laughs) to explain this to people who weren't they just don't really get it so it's kind of a bond we all had (laughs) because I think so many women were like up and coming at that time. And we just remember it. Like we remember, like to me, it it gives me chills. And I'm so honored that I could have been even some slight of motivation to women waking up in the morning and being like, okay, like that quote made me want to like make something happen today. And that's really what was happening. Like I, I would, I would see the DMs, I would see the comments. And so I would love to know, the um the economic like impact (laughs) that was created just from motivating so many women to pursue their entrepreneurial goals i want someone to do that somebody in college if you have a project you need to do please study the boss babe pipeline (laughs) (laughs) and where we all ended up and what happened because of this because no seriously like it's so impactful um and i would even argue that it probably um, definitely, it definitely influenced the girl boss movement as well. You know what I mean? So what made you even come up with this idea though? Yeah. So I actually have a video about this. It's called the girl who made business pink. And I go into why I kind of, the reason why I started the account was because I was at the time doing social media freelancing for like entrepreneurs and business owners. This is like 2013 and 14. And I swear everyone I spoke to was like social media marketing. Like it was really like, what, like, what is that? Why? Like, that doesn't make sense. Why would people, why would my business need a social media account? And I had gotten into it because I like my internet background. I was on Twitter. I've been addicted to Twitter (laughs) my whole life. (laughs) And I was like, you know, this is something I can do. And I, and I didn't want to take the traditional like college route. And I was like, this is something that I can really do. Now, the issue was that I was meeting with some um, Gen X, different generation uh, business owners. And, you know, now I can look back and be like, it's normal to be the younger, trendier um, social media expert. Cause like now social media is normalized and you want the 16 year old who knows how TikTok works to be <laughs> on your team. But, um, and at the time I wasn't 16, I'm like early twenties, but you get what I mean. Like now, like we see the strength of, you want the young trendy person who knows what's popping on the algorithms to, to be a part of it. And I had some platform jellies that I really, that I just got. And, um, they're just very baby spice, sparkly platform jellies. (laughs) And I had a moment where I was like, do, if I wear these, are they going to see me as unprofessional? And then I had another moment where I was like, who cares? I'm still going to get the job done. Like, I'm still going to have satisfied clients. And I realized there's going to be millions of us who have that same thought pattern of like, uh, are they going to think my hair is, you know, X then, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter because I'm still going to do the job. I'm still going to perform. And, um, and I just understood that like millennial women, we, that was the time where we were like shaving half our head, like Cassie or wearing bright pink Mac lipstick. We were very loud and expressive in our style. And I just knew that we weren't going to want to sacrifice that in a entrepreneurial environment. And I make the case in the video, like Zuckerberg didn't have to get rid of his hoodie to build his company. Like Millennials in general have figured out how to have better, more accurate representation of who we are through changing Victoria's Secret models, just changing representation in general. And so, yeah, it was just, it was something that I felt was going to be the new normal for us. Mm, Wow. No, and you know what? I think I've always noticed in you, like you just have such a good ability to see 
what's coming. Like you are pretty much a visionary, you know, like you always are like on, you know what I mean? Like, I think sometimes people look at you and they're like trying to like label it or put it in a box or like make it make sense. And it's like you, because you're just so ahead of everybody, people get it later. And it's like, that was one of those things where like now in hindsight, we're like, oh my gosh, would you, you know, that's what you did. But like, Right. You you got it. Like you get it ahead of everyone. And that's beautiful. Like that's a gift, you know? Thank you. I try to make yeah. it. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So with Boss Babe, you ended up selling it, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So what made you decide to do that? So what a lot of people don't realize is that I had grown this like big and like continuing to grow company at like 23 years old. I was totally overwhelmed. And it was like, before I even had the chance to decide what I wanted to do with my life, I had this huge responsibility and obligation and um, I didn't want it anymore. Like I was like, and, and the way that it worked was Um, I had operationalized the business. I hired a CEO and she was running it. And I, it gave me some time to just take a breather and kind of just be the owner. And after a while, you know, she had grown the company and run the company. And she was like, Hey, like, do you, are you interested in selling? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know? Um, and so I think it's a story about, some of the downfalls of early success, it's like, it seems so amazing, but the reality is like looking back, there's a million different things that I could have or would have done or stuff. I just was too young to know. Um, and so that was one of the major reasons why I was like, wait, hold on. I'm going to sell this and I'm going to like take a breath and like try again, like try to figure out who am I? What do I want to do? What do I want to focus on? And at the same time, it's interesting because there like to your point, I saw what was coming ahead and I saw how trendy, like Carl Lagerfeld has this amazing quote that says, trendy is the last step before tacky. Um, he's like, you know, he's, he's, one oh of yeah. Guys. Yeah. Um, he gets it. I, I knew like wherever this was going next, it was going to crash before something mm. else happened. And yeah. that was another reason, not necessarily the company, but just the overall like era the brand the idea because it had grown outside of my control like the internet took it and you know how the internet works it once the internet has it it is it's no longer yours it will spin in a million different directions and so at that point i i knew like eh, i'm i'm on to the next thing like i want to focus on the next thing but i bring that up because what happened and i mentioned that in the in this video essay that i referred to is there was just a lot of like shaming like the same women who were like oh yeah girl boss motivation women empowerment literally like two or you know a couple years later were like oh that stuff is fake and we were why should entrepreneurship be about pink anyway why does it have to be about being a babe anyway or blah blah, blah. and um and i think it made a lot of people like like kind of shriek and be like, yeah, yeah, it's tacky. And and honestly, like as, as women, we do that a lot with fashion. Like that's just how we are. Like we, once we find a thing we like, oh, we're going to deck out the whole house with it. And, oh, every, and then <laughs> after that's what fashion's about. It's about seasons. And um, I think we did that, but like we did it on an internet level. And that's why these like TikTok trends and the soft life and the lucky girl. And I'm like, Instead of trying to make all of these stick, let's allow ourselves to be the nuanced beings we are. And like the reason why we don't pick one lipstick is because it would be horrible to just have one lipstick. You're always in a different mood. You're always going to a different place. Like it's okay if you're 1% boss babe, 1% soft life, 1% like, (laughs) and, um, but anyway, so, but at that point I didn't even have enough, as I said, I was just like, super young. I I was just like any other insecure American girl and like was still figuring out how to be sure about myself. And all that critique made me even be like, ill, like, yeah, it is tacky or it is done or it is blah, blah, blah. But then what, what, what else do we know about fashion? After some time, (laughs) the same thing you threw out, (laughs) 
you're like, why did I throw that away? Like those are back in style. <laughs> and so what happened for me is um, I was, I was at a med spa and I've just got excited. The owner was a woman and I just got excited all over again about like women in business and the way we do things. And it reminded me of boss babe. And like, as I started to work with more women in the medical beauty space, I saw how many of them still follow it and how, how many of them never abandoned it and abandoned it. And, and it was motivation for me. Cause it was like, is there something so wrong? What, like, what did we do? That's what I want to know. Right. What, did we do? what did we do that, that the crypto bros didn't do? What did we do? Like a bank just closed down. Two banks just closed down. And y'all are mad at us. What did we right. do? Right. So anyway, that's a long like <laughs> tangent, but it, it just goes back. It just, it's a part of the story of like, kind of why I started it, why I sold it, but then how I kind of like remembered who I am, what's important to me, why I started in the first place. So. No, yeah, you you said so many things I want to touch on. Uh, <laughs> I think I think that people do that all the time. I see it a lot, especially with experts, quote unquote, because everybody feels like they have to have an opinion that's different, right, or that stands out. And that's an easy thing to do is to target the big person and talk about, you know, discredit them in some way or talk about why it's not as great as it is. And it's just a shame, though, that we have to do that in order to build ourselves up. You yeah. know, it, it's it's still a form of bullying in a way. And mm -hmm. I love to, I always say that, like, duality is so important because we as humans, we, there's, we're so multifaceted. And so the same can go for your business. The same can go for everything. And we have to stop putting these boundaries on everything that are so rigid and picking a side. Everything doesn't have to be picking a side. It's just like we can coexist or we can, you know, be in multiple buckets if we want to. And I right. think what you did, like you said, like, yes, maybe after a while it was overdone because everybody was doing it or whatever. But it's like, ultimately, it has still stood the test of time. And yes. it's still just as relevant as a lot of these other companies, you know, and you made such a statement to where it's impacting this whole generation of women and how they do business and how they're so confident in doing things that, you know, really resonate with themselves rather than doing something the way that it's traditionally been done. So I, I think that that makes total sense. And, and that's, and you're right. Like, as I remember, like when I was younger and I, you know, was doing business, I was easily swayed like that. I was like, oh God, I shouldn't be doing that anymore because somebody said something about it. And it's like, right. And I was like, no, yeah, like. It's so real. It's yeah. so real. And what, I, what I realized too is like, there were the, the, the women who, in my opinion, capitalized on that movement the most in terms of took a lot of the glory and like took a lot of the mainstream attention. They dropped it like a hot potato once things turned and my situation i i also feel like i abandoned it but when i look back that abandoning it was also abandoning a part of myself because one thing that's different between me and those women is that this was not a trend for me it was it was my lifestyle this is mm -hmm. my life so and when i say lifestyle i mean like i really am a girly girl i love pink legally blonde like all of that, like that whole story is me and it's, it's so many of us. And so that was another thing that was irritating about it because um, it's like, this is not even what y'all do. When, when I had looked around at people like Mary Seats and Paris Hilton, the examples I give in the video, I'm like, these are not women who conveniently said, oh, because this era is over, we're done. They're like, no, this is my everyday life. And, and, and that's the thing. It's like, how could we um kind of neglect or ignore these entire populations of women who do this and it's not they're not doing it to be cool they're doing it because it's who their authentic self is so right no exactly exactly but i think that's a part of maturing because i think you know just like you just said like we now we're a bit older than back when this happened but it's yeah. like once you mature a little bit, you begin to realize, like, it really doesn't matter what anyone thinks. Like, 
<laughs> like I'm going to like what I want to like. And that's just the end of it. But I think also too, with entrepreneurship, it's like we need to really keep that same energy across the board. And yes, people love to do that. They love to grab, you know, grab something, use it, capitalize on it, and then throw it out and then on to the next thing. And it's like, at a certain point, we have to get more in the headspace of building for longevity rather than just like building off of trends. You know what I mean? And I think that's what you did. And and now you're realizing it because they tried to make you think you were doing the opposite. But it's like, yes. no, it's out. It's standing the test of time. Like I said, like it's really sitting. It's still sitting here, you know, <laughs> at the top. I can't believe I got tricked out, even myself, to think like <laughs> to to not see the value of that. So, yeah, it's a real it's a real thing. So I know people of color all the time, they love to, well, I shouldn't say they love to, but a lot of times they feel a way about us selling our companies, you know? So have you gotten any flack for selling it? Oh, of course. I mean, I it took years. I mean, I still get questions, but it was like a good year straight of like, why did you do that? Um, because the company was doing well. So a lot of people were just like, why, why would you do that? And first of all, I, I didn't feel the need to have to explain my literal business <laughs> to people. I'm like, I don't know you. Right. Um, and I was always just like, I'm still here. Like, if you want me, I'm still here. Like, here's my Instagram. Hi. Like, um, but on an, but outside of just me, I think a lot of why we have the, the attitude we have about selling our businesses comes from, first of all, just not having enough ownership in our communities, right? And so it's kind of like, if you own something, why would you sell it? Like, we're out here trying to do more to own homes and own equity and companies. Why would you sell the thing that we're all talking about is so important to get? And what people tend to miss out on in that whole like um, journey of generational wealth and investing is that Yes, it is great to own quality equity. Uh, if you can build a company that has valuable equity, then yes, that's great. But another thing we don't know is that this shit has levels, right? And so when you're dealing with the market, when you're dealing with things like private equity, it's not enough to just own it. You better have some rich people to sell the shit to. <laughs> and that's really how this that's really what it is. We see one side of it because, again, of the the lack of resources in our history and, and being taken away from being able to see the whole picture. But it's like, yes, there's owning. But the whole point of owning is so that you have options to sell, to liquidate, to figure out how, you know, because if not, then you're limited in your options. So. I've been inviting that conversation more and it comes up all the time. Like the last few conversations I've had with people, they've, they've emphasized how, especially right now with creators, right? Like there's this big conversation of, I need to own all my, my data. I need to own all my masters. I need to own all my content. And it's like, yes, yes. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but it's not just about ownership as much as it's about owning quality equity. Right. So it's like, would you rather have a hundred percent of nothing or five percent of something? Like, do you want a hundred? If right now, with most of the people saying this, if I said, would you ha rather have a hundred percent of your business or ten percent of Apple? Right? <laughs> like, which right. one? Most people, depending depending on how well your business is performing, they will right. still take that ten percent of Apple. <laughs> right. So it's and, and another thing about this world in the acquisitions world, and I know we'll talk about that soon, is like owning 100% is not a flex in this world. Like no one here really owns 100% of anything. 100% right. means you're doing 100% of the work. And so much of wealth is about dividing equity in a way that you're not necessarily, you don't want to own 100% of everything because you don't have the physical capacity to to do that. Like, that's not really being wealthy. That's not really how these people live their lifestyle. So there's definitely some perspective shifts I think we, we will need to make. You said so much. And <laughs> no, but you said so much that I was going to touch on anyway. Like you said it perfect. Uh, I always say like, um, that's actually a pillar in wealthy women is understanding the importance of equity. And 
I always say that you can have equity in things and in people, of course, because we overlook the people part, which is not the emphasis right now, but like, you know, your relationships can get you very far. Right. And so you need to have solid equity with that. But with, with your businesses or other things that you might own, it's like, we look at that. We've, we've, and I get, and I totally get it. Like for anyone that's listening to this and you're like probably shouting from the rooftop, like, but we lost so much as black people. I totally get it. We have, we've had a lot stolen from us. So all of that selling, giving away, especially to somebody that's not another person of color, that sounds scary. It sounds risky, right? It sounds like you're losing everything you worked for, but that is so small minded. And I need us to see the bigger picture here. Like, also, we, we want, again, we want to work to a point where we can sell it to each other. But the exactly. thing is, we both need to be building up equity so that it, it's to a p- point where a fund, a, a Black fund can sell to a Black fund, can exactly. can then buy from a Black fund. Like, that's the game that they're playing. And there's not enough Black funds to begin that's with. <laughs> look, I'm like, look, if y'all want me to sell to Black, we can, let's... Call, let's call them up. Like, let's do it. But the point is we have to build that up. So so it's it's not necessarily that we always have, when we sell our companies, it doesn't mean we always have to sell outside of that. Like, so. No, exactly. Exactly. And I always talk about how it's so important to have an exit strategy because most people, when they start their businesses, well, most people of color specifically, um, we are thinking, oh, we're building up this business because it's our dream, because it's going to change our lives, us, 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 right? And when you are trying to build for wealth, those people typically, even if you don't have it the day you start your business, eventually you come to a point where you know what the exit strategy is. It's either you're passing it on to your family, you are selling it, you are going public, whatever. But like you do that to actually acquire the wealth. That is where the wealth lies, right? And so I think a lot of us don't understand that concept. (laughs) We're very much sitting here thinking about, okay, how many sales am I making today? Whatever, whatever. But it's like, no, when people invest in your company, the value raises. When people sell their companies, the value, like it's all these different factors that actually, that alone will grow your company to where you anticipated it to get to. So we really have to expand our minds in this area. And I love that you're willing to touch on this topic because you are an investor now, right? Yeah, well, Ben, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, yeah. I was going to say one more thing, but I think I forgot it. It was about, um, oh, yeah. So what you're talking about is like kind of like the mom, I call it like the mom and pop mindset, mm-hmm. which what I'm trying to do right now is get people who have that kind of like mom and pop shop business to mm-hmm. apply Wall Street strategies because you can still keep your mom and pop business. It can still be your homegrown kind of culture, but you can think and you can professionalize and operationalize your business through the books, through the the way that you are managing your staff and the way you're bringing investors on to really be robust. And and I think Mm -hmm. the line between, um, you know, small businesses and corporations it seems like there's this huge gap, but no, once you run a small business very efficiently, it naturally becomes a corporation. It's not like corporations just start that way. They start usually as mom and pops that were thinking about how to professionalize and bring in investors and uh, beef up the multiples for an exit and stuff like that. So that's just some food for thought for listeners is like, you can be as big as any of these companies you're looking at. Um, with with the foundation you have now like apple started in the garage right how many times do we hear this story like these companies start as these little small businesses right exactly that no that is huge that is really i'm i'm so glad you said that because that's really what it is it's like you you really need to even though it feels foreign or it feels like you know like it doesn't flow yeah. Wall Street is Wall Street for a reason. <laughs> and right. so you, you like, there's so much to learn from, from all kinds of business models, right? But like, there's just so much to learn from that, that I think we as, you know, a lot of times I think we feel like we don't have the resources to figure it out, or we don't have the right mentorship or whatever. But you can learn so much just from observing, 
just from observing a company and how they've moved over the years and the history of these companies, there's a reason why, like you said, it went from the garage to now being a store on, you know, in every neighborhood of Apple and being able, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I think, I think that that is just something we really need to think about. Um, okay. So I'm, I, before we get into like more of the investor conversation, cause I know that, you know, that's, that's what we want to talk about in just a second. But, um, I, you're just to like make your timeline make sense. So after Boss Babe, after that, you wrote a book, right? Called mm-hmm. Resonate. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so what made you write this book? I think I just needed to express myself and I felt like a book would be a great way. I love to write um, and I love to connect through to other people through writing. It's way more intimate to me than like content, like traditional TikToks. It's just my style. Like I, I love reading and I feel very connected to people when I'm reading their stuff. And I like to offer that, that level of connection. Um, not even just for others, but like for me, like it just feels good to write from, from the heart and, and reach other people. So I think it was just a way to kind of looking back, I think it was a way to kind of like close the chapter of, of boss babe and just write through like, why do I think this happened? Um, and what, what, would I tell people who want to do something similar? Mm. So did you, do you feel like that helped to reposition you in the space as like more of a thought leader and, yeah, I think you so. know, I yeah. think um, it helped me kind of begin building my own identity um, because people didn't really know who I was. People still don't really know <laughs> that, that I was behind that, but it was fine. Like it was fine with me. Um, I don't necessarily want to be like super in the front. So it was just, a, it was a way to kind of introduce myself as the person, as opposed to like, you know, um, the owner of, of a business. Yeah, no, I, I think that definitely helped us see you in a different light. And it really got us to see like, there was so much intentionality behind everything that you did, you know? And for me, it was like, it was almost like your, it's almost like you were giving us your framework or your methodology, you know what I mean? For your approach to like building something. And I thought it was really cool. I really enjoyed the book. And I I actually reference it a lot when I'm teaching. I'm like, you guys need to read this book. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Oh yeah. Okay. so. I know that um, you are now doing consulting, right? Yes, I know. Kind of? Oh, okay. Sometimes it depends. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So when you do do consulting, what kind of projects do you like to consult on? Oh, do I like to consult on? That's that's the picker. Um, I really like performance-based consulting. So like, what I do as an investor, and I know it sounds so fancy, but it's really just listening to entrepreneurs complain about their problems in a safe space. Um, and it's great for me because I I love systemizing things. Like I love taking a big mess and then figuring out, okay, how are we going to organize this in a way that produces the output that we're looking for? So for me, I think the reason why I decided to you know, even get into acquisitions more heavily as opposed to just doing consult because consulting is really telling people your strategy and like what you think they should do, but oftentimes they don't do it. So then it's like, I really don't like that because I'm a very output performance based person. Um, And so if I am going to do the consulting, I just like to make sure I'm doing it with a team that has a high performance rate or will actually implement the strategies so it's not just us talking i'm too much of an aries for that oh you're an aries okay that makes sense (laughs) so when you're okay so when you do do consulting is that something that you've ever considered or done where it's like because you're consulting them they give you some equity because you know you're helping them build out something you know yes okay because people offer you equity all the time so Mm. you know you want to be you want to have your own criteria of what kind of equity you will take because again i told you i don't care it's not the percentage it's it's how valuable is it 
And so a lot of coming from the tech space and, you know, having proximity to the VC world, you will get a lot of offers of people, you know, uh, reluctantly inviting you for some equity into their startup that's worth zero dollars. And that's not the equity I'm shopping for currently. Yes. No, I feel you. Okay. So speaking of that, then what is your criteria when you are investing or seeking equity? What is the criteria for you? Yeah. So personally, I'm looking at deals that are at least like 300K EBITDA, right? Um, Or just, or in cash flow, right? Because a lot of the businesses I'm looking at are are on the smaller side. I'm right now acquiring um, med spas. So Typically, they tend to do less than a million. Some of them definitely gross more, but like a one facility does, they get usually stuck around like 800 to 900 top line. Um, So, which is, which is fine. The reason why I bring that up is because again, so the mom and pop businesses, nine times out of 10, they don't have EBITDA. They have um, what's called SDE, which is seller discretion, discretionary earnings, which is really a fancy way of saying we don't really know how much the business makes. We just um, spend some of the profit on like my car or tuition for my child. And and it's not wrong. Like I was on the yeah. phone with the owner the other day and finances are always uh, touchy for owners mm-hmm. because they, they don't do their finances. <laughs> And they think I'm going to be like, oh, no, like, I'm like, no, I'm not the tax guy. I'm not the IRS guy. I'm the investor. So let's let's talk about it. Like, what's the top line looking like? OK, so how much of that are you pocket? OK. And so I, I reassured her, like, you know, she didn't know, like nine times out of ten, when you ask a business owner, how much are you netting? Um, they don't really have a clear answer. It's usually like, let me go look at the books and I'll tell you. And this happens again a lot with the mom and pop. Now, if you're talking to a professionalized business, they have EBITDA. They have to have it because that's what they're using to, um, to distribute the, the net profit to the shareholders. And um, anyway, so yes, three hundred. No, I love it. Get technical. You know, the girls need <laughs> the girls need to learn. So yeah, um, and I'm looking for. Yeah, I'm looking for good operations. I don't I don't want to so just to be clear too, the type of investing I do, because I don't I'm not really familiar with like the platform and ha- and like the different types, because obviously there's different classes, uh, asset classes that you can invest in. I am primarily focused on acquisitions, which is acquiring businesses, equity and businesses. Um, and it's great. It's it's pretty similar to real estate in the sense of you can uh, purchase cash flow, right? It, uh-huh. As opposed to one of the big misconceptions about investing is that capital gains and cash flow are both investing, depending on who you ask, right? Capital gains investing means that you're buying low, selling high. So talking about stocks, things like that, art. Um, and those are great, but those don't create monthly income unless you're talking about like a stock that gives you dividends and pays you out. But like typically you'd have to have millions in one stock for that to be like really lucrative Mm -hmm. and a dividend paying stock. Um, So what's really great about, about acquisitions and, and even in real estate is that when you buy an asset, you're getting the cash flow that the business makes. So, um, and there's just so much flexibility. So like if you you can buy one business or you can buy a few of them and like roll them up together and create a franchise, like there's just so much flexibility. So I, I, I just look for like performance that is consistent. I'm checking for uh, for culture, like how, how do people communicate with each other? Do things run smoothly? How much does business need to be modernized? Because that's the thing, like every investor brings something different to the table. There might be a deal that like my partner would never touch because he doesn't know anything about like bringing in tech stuff where I'll be like, oh, no, like I got an app for that. Let me clean this up real quick. (laughs) 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 So, yeah. But if anyone wants specific acquisition criteria, we can set up a call. Um, and if anyone like wants to, is interested in like selling their business anytime soon, 
or wanting to buy one, I'm the girl, girl to call. Okay, nice. Okay, so you do help people like with that. So like, do you do like, is this kind of like you're the, the middleman or you um, just consult them on how to buy? Every deal is like a fingerprint, like everything, like it's not like this one streamlined process. So for example, there might be a business owner who was thinking about closing their business because they simply didn't know they could sell their business. Or there's like someone I'm talking to now who has four of a certain type of business and he needs help buy buying a fifth and sixth one. So I can go out and stop that. So it's like every deal, like I said, is like a different. It's just like figuring out where's the weak spot, what needs, what needs to be reinforced or who do I need to introduce this person to? So, yeah. Okay. That makes total sense. So yeah. Mine is it's done for you acquisitions. Nine times out of 10, most seven figure entrepreneurs want to buy a business, but they don't have the time to do it. And so the idea is like, okay, let's sit down. Uh, what kind of business would supplement your business? Like a lot of seven figure entrepreneurs don't know. They'll think I need to build a sales team or I need to build uh, marketing. And it's like, you can actually buy a sales company and you can actually buy a marketing company and roll that into what you're already doing, which can potentially create an exponential increase as opposed to linear growth. So again, when we're talking mom and pop, it's very linear. It's like, Oh, it, we increased 10% year over year or 30% year over year with acquisitions. Right. You're talking like we increased our value by 300% year over year because of, yeah. because of the deal. So, yeah. No, I, I love that you mentioned that because um, with my previous business, that was something. So my ex used to be in finance. And so that was something he would bring up a lot. He would be like, okay, well, you have this guy we're doing ads, but we could just buy an ads company or you have this over here. We could just buy this. And I was like, oh, (laughs) but I'm glad that he brought that up because it it really did expand my mind and let me see like, okay, that is how I should be operating to actually scale and actually, you know, get a a huge return. Um, So, yeah, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs that are currently running businesses, this would probably sound very appealing to them. So if, if you're listening to this and this is something that you is piquing your interest and you actually are ready to get started or like you really want to explore this, definitely reach out to Alex because this, I, I mean, I want to reach out to you. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Talk later. <laughs> right. When you said done for you, I said, oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great though. Okay. So for those that are wanting to start investing and they just like are not really sure what the beginning steps are what would you say are like the beginning steps or even to know if you're ready to start investing? Yeah. So I, again, definitely know the difference between the capital gains and the cash flow investing because people think like if you're super new to this and you're like, I want to be an investor, I'm going to buy stocks. And it's like, well, how do you want your money coming in? Do you want your money coming in only when you sell something or do you want your money coming in whether you sell something or not? That's the big distinguisher. And I think it saves a lot of people time because um, they just, because we just simply don't uh, differentiate those two enough. And then I'm going to, I'm going to say what everyone else says. You have to learn a bunch of stuff. Like I'm big on all the early Kiyosaki books. Like they're really good. Like, you know, he emphasizes the importance of investing in your financial education um, most of this is, it's just, it reminds me a lot of like law school or medical school. It's just fancy words for stuff you already know. Um, you just got to know how to put the words to the, to the concept, right? Like to a doctor, like this is some blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, it's my palm, right? <laughs> That's how the fight and the same thing with lawyers. They're like, Oh, do you want to? And I'm like, what you mean? Should I give them a call? Like it's, it's right. There's a lot of that. So train your muscle. Um, it's meant to be intimidating as hell. It's, that's the point. Um, and so don't be afraid to dive in. Don't be afraid to learn. Um, don't be afraid to invest in in the education and do your best to be around the highest quality people. Uh, try to go around doing everything yourself and think more who can help me with this as opposed to what will get me this. So there's a good book called who, not how. Um, so a lot of people are like, how do I invest? How do I make money? How? And it's like, who, 
who do you know? Who who does this already? Who can you call? Who who was talking about this the other day? Like what would happen if you called them up and asked them a few questions? Because to your point, social capital is worth more than <laughs> than even the money, than even like the the traditional capital. So never and millennials, ooh, we've learned that the freaking hard way, I think, in my opinion. Um so build relationships, get off the internet. That's another piece of advice I would give you. Get off the internet, go meet people in person. A lot of people who are doing well in this field are people who have had enough time to make mistakes and they're most likely 50 plus. Like everyone I work with is 50 plus. I'll listen to millennials. Yes, we'll talk, but I really do look for like, oh, you look like there's no way you would be in a rookie stage right now or you sound, you know what I mean? So go out. They're not on Instagram or if they are, they're not, they're not easy to find. They're not going to be on your explore page. They're going to be at random lounges and clubs and uh, places where people go to connect and talk. And when I say clubs, I mean like social clubs, not like the club club. Yes. <laughs> um, and introduce yourself and be humble, be a humble millennial. They don't like us. Okay, they already don't like us. So <laughs> when you approach them, show them that you're one of the good ones, that you're willing to listen, that you're willing to earn your stripes. Um, and that will expedite you further than any course and sales funnel, in my opinion. So that was good advice. So yeah, I hope y'all I hope y'all are taking notes and like, you know, because <laughs> that was great advice. And I'm going to look that book up because I've never heard that before. So I need to look that book up. Um, yeah. yeah, no. Okay. So you, cause you of course mentioned like there's criteria for when you're investing. Um, but when you do consulting or you're investing in a company and you see that they're like stagnant, what are like some of the main reasons, like the most common reasons that you see that they're not experiencing growth in their business? Yeah. So, so every industry is different. I think for the industry I look at, it's most commonly there's an issue with the, the marketing. Um, most people are having a hard time um, adapting to social media still, which is kind of like crazy. Remember, because we were talking about like 2013. Um, there's yeah. a lot of businesses that are based off of referrals. And so they just kind of keep their same clientele. And to your point, there's no growth. And they don't know, not only do they not know how to market on the internet, but they don't even know who to call to market their stuff on the internet. Um, right. And so that's been a big issue. And um, so, and, and also too, and then, so that's like the outdated older companies, but then when it comes to like younger people who are like, cause that's a, that's like one of the biggest issues. It's something I'm doing is not driving in enough sales or something I'm doing is not driving in enough customers. And that's usually a marketing problem. So for the established businesses, it's usually like, well, we just got to clean up this Instagram. Like you have one grid pick on here and everybody's on TikTok. Like, okay, we'll handle you. Then for like millennials who are like, oh my God, like I have this business and you know, my content isn't working. Um, and I've been, a, I've been saying this for years. Y'all need to stop worrying about the engagement unless you are starting a media company in which I would not recommend right now you better have a media company maybe only as a um, marketing communications platforms to get people inside buying stuff. So mm -hmm. the reason why I emphasize that is because people think they're failing and people think they're, they're not getting sales because their Instagram reel didn't get 10,000 views. And I'm like, that's not why you don't have a call to action. You're um, and, and typically too, with those types of clients, your product needs to be audited. It needs to be more valuable. It needs to really uh, address the problem. Like I'm gonna keep it a buck with y'all. A lot of like, one of the plagues of the millennial culture is we were sold your vision, do your vision and it'll be the next Facebook, right? And what I've learned about stuff in the past few years, it's, it's not that vision doesn't matter, vision doesn't work. But markets are markets and they're robust. Visions are not, right? Mm. There's transactions happening in the billions and trillions every day. And, and therefore needs that already exist or demands that already exist. Whereas opposed like the millennial entrepreneurship story is like, 
I have a dream that like one day everyone's going to like buy this thing that I think is great. Like, and, and it's even worse if it's like a, a product that's already commoditized, like lashes or something like that. Like, it's like, oh my God, the amount of work you would have to do to, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like trying to diss anyone. I'm, I'm really trying to help because people have spent a lot of money for me to tell them this ain't working, boo-boo. So I'm just telling you for free. <laughs> like it's it's not you, right? But don't don't get into business. If you have a vision, like build a community or something, but like there's just too much. I feel like there's this clash between like I always pictured, you know, this would be the thing. And it's like, that's not that's not an operations team. That's too much of a vision. It's it doesn't ha- it, what market need is it serving? 94% of businesses fail in the first four, uh, five years. And the number one reason those businesses fail is no market need. That means that 94% of the people who start businesses are starting businesses for a demand that doesn't exist. And so I'm like, right. yo, before you spend all that money and before you buy that camera and before you buy that equipment, and let's really look at the market first. Because again, when we don't even think about that. We're like, wait, no, I just wanted it to be my dream. And it's like, baby, we live in the real world. I'm so, I'm going to be the girl that's like, we're going to get this money. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> right. No, yeah, I'm huge on that. And people there, I mean, because over the last year, I've gotten into a different space career-wise and I haven't really released products and stuff. And I used to be a coach, but people have been like, oh, you should talk about this or you should. And I'm like, Absolutely not. Because I know the problem with that. It's like, there's not enough demand. Like, why would I, just because you mentioned this, right. or maybe because I talked person. Right. Right. the one person, there's not enough demand for that. And even if I post something on, you know, TikTok or whatever, and it does really well one time, that doesn't mean that that validates the idea as something that will make money and be profitable. And I think also too, one thing I always teach um, when it comes to sales is like, people don't understand that it's not just about solving a problem, right? And providing a solution. It's like, you also have to be good at positioning your product as the solution, but more so teach, showing them that your product is going to get them the desired outcome because they don't care. They, that's the thing. They're really not concerned with the problem. They're concerned with what the problem is causing for them, right? And what the solution will do for them. So it's like, we really have to get in a different headspace rather than just listing all of the benefits of our product and talking about how great our product is. No one cares. What is it going to do for me? <laughs> right? Right. Absolutely. Or the technicalities of like, well, this is a special. So, uh, will it do what I, I want? <laughs> will it do what I want? Just will it make me skinnier? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's all you have to say. Skip all that. That's the thing. People don't understand. Once I've already decided that something is going to help me get the desired outcome, then I care about all the specs. I don't care right. about the specs until then. If right. you're wasting your time, you're wasting your breath. So. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that, okay. So that, I hope anyone that's struggling right now in their business, I hope that like made you have an aha moment of some sort so that you can identify like what's causing that for you. But, um, Okay, so how how would you describe this era of your life? Because I feel like you're evolving. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Such a nice compliment. Um, I am evolving. I the way I would describe this era is just um, it, just doing my best to accept myself. I think again, and I know so many people struggle with this, but just identity and, um, you know, who am I? What am I? What box do I fit in? I never, ever fit in a box. And I always no. tried to, and that always was the, the the source of a lot of my suffering. And so this era is really like, girl, it's okay. It's okay if you check all the boxes, two of the box, like it's just be who you are, let it breathe. Um, and it's, and it's, it's a, practice every day like and it reminds me a lot of writing because one of the things people don't realize about writing is that um and Lamont has a great book about this by the way bird by bird but one of the things people don't realize about writing is it's not like you sit down and you write an amazing book obviously right you sit down you write drafts and drafts are really painful to write because 
you suck. <laughs> and like, it, it doesn't sound how you want it to sound. And it, the difference between writers and non-writers are writers sit with that moment and they sit with those drafts and they just are like, they trust that it's going to be better or it's going to be more uh, authentic to what you're trying to say. Cause it's like, everything's so beautiful up in here. Everything sounds amazing up in here. And then you're with the, the, the screen and you're like, wait, this sounds nothing. It doesn't sound as great as I wanted it to. And I think it's a great analogy for ourselves. It's like, wait, I, I think I'm this, or I think it's supposed to look this way or sound this way. And it's like, no, baby, you're dealing with your drafts every day. There's always something you're learning. There's always something that's like just different 1.0 of you, 2.0 of you, 3.0 of you. Like God knows what numbers we're on now, but it's just like, can you be compassionate with those drafts of you? They're still you. They're not something to be like, oh, this is, because uh. the more you push that away, the less you're actually you know, accepting your, yourself for who you are. So I say it like, like I got it on check, but again, it's something I practice every day myself. So. I love that. No. And I feel like I'm in a similar space and that's just been a big thing um, for me at this moment, like the identity thing. Cause I think after you've accomplished a lot, cause you've accomplished so much and it's like, after you accomplish a lot and then you did all the things that you said you wanted to do. And then it's like, but also you're changing. It's like, you have to make space for yourself to change and to be whatever you decide to be that day and without judgment. And that's the biggest thing, not judging ourselves. Because I think a lot of times, like you said, that's even, that's all that is wanting to put ourselves in a box, wanting a label, wanting a this, like we just try to make sense of everything and have a judgment. And it's like, it doesn't require that, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's allowing ourselves to be. So that's beautiful. I love that for you. Thank you. <laughs> now, really quick, I do want to backtrack a little bit because there was one question that I forgot to ask you, and I'm going to like be so mad if I don't ask you. So, because I know there are people that are like interested in investing, but they may not have the liquid capital right now. Is mm -hmm. there are there options on how to get money to invest? You know, if you're wanting to invest, or do you not recommend that? Well, here's the thing. My answer is going to be very Kiyosaki. You could. Okay borrow some money, but mm -hmm. if you don't know what the hell you're doing, don't borrow the money. So that's why it always goes back to the education and knowing what you're doing. This is not, don't, this is not get rich quick. This is not, oh, I want to be an investor so I can make money. Right. No, right. It's, I wish it was. Yeah. Right. Uh, that's the thing. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to get into investing because I really need to make money. And it's like, I hope you mean three years from now. Right, because it's not going to be tomorrow. <laughs> you better go get a job, because or get a client, because this is not that. Yeah, it's a long game. It is definitely a long game, and I think too with investing, you have to think it's just like building a big business, really. Too like a lot of times with people nowadays, because people always talk about how to make money so fast, but it's like when you're building for longevity you should expect to be building for a while before seeing the kind of results that you're looking to see. So it's the same with investing. It's like, you should not be expecting a return tomorrow on every little investment that you make. Like you're, you're building for legacy, you're building for longevity, like, you know, and you have to like get comfortable with that and understand that like, this is going to take time, but it will pay off eventually. And this is more so, you know, a wiser decision than just, impulsive and then you know it should or it should be it should be something that you're doing from a place of wisdom and impulsivity absolutely and yeah. study the different, study the different asset classes like figure out what class you want to focus on yeah um, figure out the differences and also be be wary that every asset class thinks they're the best so every time mm -hmm. you are introduced to a new asset class the first thing that they're going to say is like the stock people are going to be like, oh, well, people saying real estate, but it's really about stocks and the real estate, you know, everyone, cause it's, it's what works for them. So just keep that in mind. Like you're going to be getting sold the whole time. So you want to be like, okay, what actually works for me? What do I really, what are my strengths already? Who do I already know? So that what leverage points do I have? So that I'm not like the, the learning curve doesn't have to be so steep, but once you know what to do with the stuff, then like getting funding or, or borrowing is not, shouldn't be that hard because people want to give you money when you know how to grow it. Ooh, that's a word. <laughs> that is a word. No, seriously though, the bank, anybody, like anybody will give you money when they, 
right? Just like a credit card. Like, baby. You know, they're like, oh, I want to be an investor. They're going to be like, uh, call us back. Right. <laughs> when you have a like, business plan, you gotta, right. Yeah. We'll call you. Don't call us. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I always ask this question to everyone that's on the show. What does it mean to you to be a wealthy woman? Um, energy. Having, my energy more than anything. I'm definitely more a lifestyle girl than a run it up just to run it up girl. So yeah. if, if I have to pick between one X and free time or 10 X and no time, not even a question. And I think as women, like I, I always said success to me is having energy at 3 PM. Oh, we're almost at 3 PM. Um, because it's hard to keep your energy all day long. I don't even have kids. Okay. And I'm like, I don't know how y'all do it. And I love y'all. I being burnt out is like the worst feeling in the, or overwhelmed. And I get overwhelmed pretty often, but some people live overwhelmed and I'm like, no, nah, I can't do it. I don't care what, I don't care how much I can't do it. So that to me is always my measuring stick of like, am I living a wealthy life? How much of my energy is mine? You know, that's beautiful, honestly, because that's a that's a big reason why I created Wealthy Women um, because of that freedom. It's like it gives when you are at a space of stability, you should have more freedom and have more ease so that you can have more energy and focus on the quality of life that you have rather than, like you said, running it up. And I find that people that have experienced the other extreme of that, of like struggling, trying to survive, hustling, you know what I mean? Just barely making it. They, when they actually get to the side of making it, they go to the opposite extreme out of, you know, out of trauma. It's like, okay, I don't want to experience that. But then you're creating the same feeling almost and the same effect on yourself by doing yeah. it, working that hard. So, yeah. Yeah, that's why the same boss babe girls ended up being the same soft life girls gonna go back to the boss because <laughs> like when you go too much you're gonna go all the way to the other and so that to your point it's like uh it it's everything at once and like instead of like pushing it how do we just like let it flow and let yeah. that just just live so yeah and I think it goes back to the whole no judgment thing like you have to get to a space yeah. where you are not judging yourself for what you need and want you know if you find that you need to take naps in the middle of the day and you need to create a lifestyle that allow that okay like we're not going to come at you for that like that is your prerogative right yeah no, and you don't judge yourself I, those kind i like i like working pe with people like that i'm like yes. okay because the values are the same you know mm -hmm. exactly exactly well girl this has been so good such a good conversation okay. thank you so much for being on the show how can That's people fun. how can people find you how can people work with you and you have a class coming up right Yes. Okay. So the best way to work with me is email me, alex at alexwolf.co. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at alexwolf. I will be sending details of some of the stuff that we have coming up. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm around. And if you have any questions, like I'm here. So awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. <laughs>